Hello Internet, my name's Jonathan Cook. And I'm Matt Noble. And in this week's Green Verdict podcast, we're going to be reviewing Cloud Atlas. I'm ready. I've just had a milkshake, I've just had a shower, we're good to go. Do you have a routine for the podcast, Matt? No, but that's what I just did then. If you were to make a routine, it would involve showering and milkshakes. Yeah, maybe. You a could... milkshake shower, maybe. What, what is the etiquette, just quickly, with answering the phone when you've just come out of the shower? Because you called me to see if you can come around today. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's okay to pick up the phone if you're naked. Mm-hmm. But once you've answered it, you should try to endeavour to dress yourself from that point on. Because you don't want to miss the call, because it might be an important call. You don't want to have to delay the person. I saw your name on the phone. (laughs) Just who I was thinking about. Yeah. (laughs) But I think you owe them a dressed conversation once you've picked up the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was still wet. (laughs) I was still dripping. So... Yeah. I'm going to SMS before I call you now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, please, our female listeners of the podcast might need a cool drink now to <laughs> A milkshake and a shower bath. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas. Now, I was telling some people, we were doing a Cloud Atlas podcast today. They said they had no idea what that was. Now, I've seen the film. Yeah. And I'm not sure I'm in much of a better position than they are to explain it. But we'll endeavour to do yeah, our we'll best try. on the podcast. We'll try. They didn't know that it was even a movie. Like, <laughs> they, they had not heard of this at all. So I got worried. Oh, no, we picked a really irrelevant, like, movie. <laughs> Lucky these people probably aren't too on the pulse with popular culture. Well, it's only just come out here in Australia. So maybe give it a week. Maybe give the Screen Verdict review a chance to... <laughs> Get Cloud Atlas Get out, out there. there. Yeah. So why did we see this movie? <laughs> well, not only is it a film, but it's also a book. A film based on a book. Yes. Now, we haven't necessarily been the biggest readers mm. in the past on the podcast. It seems like, you know, we're always saying to the kids, don't do drugs, don't read books, watch yeah. movies, listen to Screen Verdict. Yeah. That's sort of the message we're trying to get out there to the youth. You could do worse than follow <laughs> those four tips. <laughs> but I haven't read it. I haven't read it either. I didn't even really know it was a book. So I know, I didn't really want to see this, and you <laughs> sort of did. So this was your call. Well, I guess part of what attracted me to it was the fact that it was made by formerly the Wachowski brothers. Uh, Are they not brothers anymore? No, uh, it's now brother and sister, seeing as I believe Larry is now Lana Wachowski. Oh, is that, is that legit? Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, serious. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> I've been um, keeping track of the Wachowski siblings. Yeah, the Wach- well, well, the Wachowski siblings are behind the Matrix. Uh, you may have heard of that. Um, yeah, no, the first one was, uh, okay, and the second one was, like, horrible. <laughs> what about the third? Uh, I caught that on TV, like, a year ago. Yeah, that was pretty horrible, too. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people really love the first Matrix. I really like the first Matrix. And people hate on the sequels a bit. I don't think the sequels are as good as the first, but I think the flack they copy is a little unfair. Mm. Just I think because the expectations are so high, maybe. 
And they also wrote V for Vendetta. V for Vendetta with Hugo Weaving, Natalie Portman, based on the Alan Moore graphic novel. I love that film. So, yeah, I quite like... I didn't see Speed Racer. Um, that I don't think that was great. Yeah, I wouldn't always maybe, worry maybe about this, that. Yeah. Maybe this helps. Uh, so I was a bit of a fan of the Wachowski uh, siblings. So I guess that's what drew me to Cloud Atlas. Mm. Now, we saw a movie, I don't know, a couple of months ago or whatever, and we saw the Cloud Atlas poster. And... This did somewhat intrigue me. I didn't really want to see the movie because uh, I didn't hear much about it, but it intrigued me. It did look like a lot of stuff. But I remember we pointed out like all the things. There's a pirate ship. There's a man in a top hat. There's a guy playing the piano. There's Tom Hanks. There's a futuristic city. There's an old man on a phone. There's like a Downton Abbey type house. There's Harley Berry and Hugh Grant, and there's, I know, some, like, witch or something. <laughs> Don't know what that is. Looks like they're throwing a lot of darts at the board with this <laughs> with this movie. Well, we know you thought that worked in Gangnam Style. Yeah, yes. Yes, we'll see if it can work over a yeah. three-hour film in Cloud Atlas. Well, like, the guy playing piano, pirates, futuristic cities, sexy Asians, Tom Hanks. If done well, could be a pretty amazing movie. It's got a lot of ingredients that people like. <laughs> I guess we'll get into the film by saying that it's split into six different storylines. Yes. In six different time periods. Now, we've decided, unlike the movie, (laughs) uh, to not just spend a couple minutes on one storyline and start talking about another, then coming back to the first and then going to the fourth and then going to the fifth and then back to the third and then to the (laughs) second. We're going to just talk about each six. Chronologically. Chronologically. Which I think makes sense and will actually be easier for people to understand than the movie. If you don't want to see (laughs) Clyde Alice, this is a great podcast you listen to because you'll get like it'll make more sense <laughs> okay so let's start so the first year is 1849 yes that long ago <laughs> and this is where we see the pirate ship come into play what's this story about Jonathan well we have an adventurer a traveler I suppose mm-hmm. a Magellan wannabe who's off traveling in exotic places, and he bumps into Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Um, he might not be the only person to bump into Tom Hanks yeah. <laughs> throughout the movie. Yeah. And Tom Hanks is a sort of doctor mm-hmm. who starts to take care of him when he becomes sick on a boat. Yes. Um, I'm on a boat! <laughs> <laughs> Thought that was a little anachronistic for them to sing that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he also makes a bit of a friend in a runaway slave. Mm. Django. (laughs) (laughs) Not Django. Not Django. Yeah, he's a a doctor, not a dentist. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, he's on the high seas. There's adventure to be had. There's a bit of a cranky, piratey crew on the ship. But the guy gets really sick and it's like, most of it's Tom Hanks just looking after him. (laughs) Yeah, I think in terms of plot, this storyline had a bit less going on than some of the others, but I liked the relationship between him and the slave and him and the doctor. Mm. I thought it was interesting, the dynamic going on there. Yeah, it was sort of interesting, but yeah, there's really not much happening here. 
I didn't really get what it had to do with much else of the story. I feel like this is something you could maybe say in several of our upcoming segments, <laughs> because the film doesn't really tie everything together. If you're thinking, oh, it's six different storylines, but they all just meet together at the end and it gets wrapped up really nicely, that's not really what the film is about. No. There are links between them, mm. though, which I won't spoil, but I appreciate it in the film. Okay. So, Tom Hanks... And Tom Hanks's character here is a bit sneaky. He's a bit <laughs> of a sneak. Yeah, that fair to say? Never trust someone with a prosthetic nose. No. Gotta wonder what they're hiding. Mm. Probably a smaller nose. <laughs> yes. I was hoping you got pirate ship. There's so much opportunity for, like, swashbuckling and <laughs> adventures and things. And just a guy sick the whole time. You're calling it a pirate ship. Was it a pirate ship? Weren't these guys just like traders or something? Yeah, probably. <laughs> They're on the high sea. It's like looks like a pirate ship. Have an adventure. <laughs> now let's transport ourselves to 1936, where everything's running smoothly in Europe. Yep. We head over to the UK, mm-hmm. where. Q from Skyfall, uh, before he gets into all that technology business, he wants to compose symphonies. Ooh. So he sort of run away from where he was. Was he living or studying? It seems like he's in a hotel room with another guy at the beginning of the movie. He's gay. Yeah, I thought that might have been a campus. Okay. Yeah, wherever he was... He's a bit of a rascal. He sort of steals a bike. He steals a waistcoat. He steals a few things. So he can present himself well for his job interview with a famous composer. So they can work on composing something together. Yeah, I like this guy's ambition. Not only was he thinking, you know, I'm going to go find this guy who's one of the greatest living composers and try and work with him. He was thinking, I'm going to outdo him. Together, and really, I'm actually going to be the lead here, make the greatest symphony of our generation. Yeah. So the old man at first doesn't like him, but then he, I know, opens up to him and they start working together. (laughs) What do we think about these symphony guys? Well, I'm not really a classical music person, but I really liked all the bits of them playing music and hearing it. I thought it was really, really good. Mm -hmm. And I liked how his story was told through letters to his boyfriend. I thought that worked really well. Mm. You got a good sense of the music and you got a good sense of the the love story, I suppose, as well. Mm. It's worth staying at the beginning of the film, I guess. It opens with... It cuts between various things, but one of them is this guy about to commit suicide. Mm. Uh, You don't actually find out whether he goes ahead with it or not at the very beginning. It looks like he will, but... You know, film trickery. The walking dead principle. If they're not dead, if you, you don't, don't see, see them, them die, die they're not they dead. might not be dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's that. So you know this is going to end a bit tragically for this guy. He's at least going to be, you know, get a bit depressed or something. <laughs> yeah, this reminded me a bit of Amadeus. Have you seen the film Amadeus? No. It won Best Picture at the Oscars in, I think, 88. And it's about Mozart. Mozart? <laughs> what? <laughs> Sounded like you put a K in there, like Moke. 
Mozart. Oh, oh sorry, Mozart. What, how Mozart. Is it? It's like a, it's, Mozart. Mozart. Okay, I don't Mozart. know. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Mozart. And um, a guy that was sort of a rival with him. That's sort of about how his rival goes mad with jealousy because he's such a great composer and things like I feel like I've seen this parried in a Simpsons Halloween episode, okay, but okay. not the actual film. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's quite good. It's quite a good movie, uh, and it seemed like this was sort of like a lighter version of that. <laughs> and then we go to 1973, Halle Berry. She's a reporter. She's going to some big nuclear plant to uh, write a story, get some sort of scoop. <laughs> she uncovers something that maybe she shouldn't. Okay, no. Or maybe she should, but the company wouldn't think so. <laughs> and um, it sort of turns into a bit of a journalistic thriller, doesn't it? Where she's got to try and get the information and there's people trying to kill her and things like that. Sort of like an all the president's men type mm. reporter detective thriller. Mm. She has a kid that lives in the same apartment or something that's always comparing everything she does to classic detective stories. Yeah. He goes, you know, that's the one thing that everyone says in a classic detective story right before they die. <laughs> Did uh, they ever explain what the relationship was with this girl and the kid? <laughs> like, what? Like, who is this kid? I, don't, I this think he's just someone that lived in the apartment and just liked her and just sort of drop onto a fire stairwell balcony thing. <laughs> Hanging out. Is that is that kosher these days? Like, oh, I guess it's 1973, isn't it? Like, just kids, like, going hanging out with adults in their apartments, like, helping them on their with their work, like... Yeah, if it's Halle Berry. Yeah. <laughs> I think also a bit ethically questionable bringing a little kid in on a, something where you've got people trying to kill you. <laughs> Did you like this? Did, were you on the edge of your seat? Yeah, I liked that sort of journalist thriller style. I thought the scene of her and the old man in the elevator was pretty good. Her and 1973 Tom Hanks smoking a joint on the balcony of mm. the nuclear plant. Yeah. Generally, I thought this one was pretty fast-paced and pretty intriguing. I'll just quickly say, Hugo oh, yeah. Weaving, great bad guy. Yeah. I think Hugo Weaving is a bit of an underrated actor. I'm Ooh. a bit disappointed not to have seen him more things. The Wachowski seemed to like him because uh, he was the agent in The Matrix. Uh, he was yes. B and B for Vendetta. I think he's great, and I was happy to see him get to play a few different roles in Cloud Atlas. Mm. No, I, th- I think definitely um, he's a good actor. There's something about Hugo Weaving... He's not really a happy guy. He never, like, his eyebrows are sort of permanently in the angry sort of uh, positions, which, you know, I was we were watching uh, Lord of the Rings the other week, because he's in that, as you might remember, Jonathan, mm. and, you know, I'm just going, this guy, not a happy guy, this guy. He's always very stern, always very, I'm going to give him a hug. I think he needs a hug. So then we jump forward to 2012. Good year for some. <laughs> That was last year. <laughs> For those keeping score at home. Yeah. <laughs> we have Jim Broadbent as a publisher. Mm. And a writer with him is an Irish, kind of gangstery Tom Hanks. Is that what he was? Yeah, I used to like to think of him as like, yeah, the gangster Tom Hanks. 
Yeah, and he does something pretty gangsta at a party. Yeah. I thought that was one of the best scenes. It was a pretty good film. scene. Yeah. yeah. That was funny. <laughs> this is definitely a drama, but there are some funny moments in yeah. the film. And I think probably in this timeline is where we get some, some more. Yeah. Uh, this is the comedy. Story. Go along with the story. Let's keep going with the story. What happens? <laughs> well, after things play out at this party, our old publisher finds himself needing some money. So he goes to his brother, and his brother puts him up in a place where he can hide out for a bit that may not have been what the publisher was hoping for. Mm. So it becomes a bit of a chicken run type situation, mm. and he has to do battle with Hugo yeah. Weaving in drag is the bad guy. She's for, nurse for Ratchet or whoever, the, <laughs> the cranky nurse. Yeah, so I, I view this as sort of the comedy, sort of like, sort of, ragtag team of old men trying to stage a bit of a prison break. Yeah, I thought this was perhaps a little bit silly, but I think it worked within the film because it was just a small portion of it. I think the film needed that sort of yeah. comedic relief in a way. Yeah. Now, he also tells the story that he's in love with Susan Sarandon. Yes. His childhood sweetheart. The girl he claims he lost his virginity to. Now... He's telling a story about how he lost his virginity to her. So he's like, you know, getting his clothes off. She's lying there in bed naked. Then he's like getting into the bed with her. Then the dad opens the door. What are you doing? She's like, ah! And he's like, ah! And he he grabs a cat and puts it in front of his his crotch. Because that's surely the best thing to do. You You want to cover up your nakedness by... Sexually assaulting a cat. Yeah. That is, that's going to be less weird in the eyes of the parents of the girl you were with. Sorry, Mr. Smith. I wasn't screwing your daughter. I was screwing your cat. <laughs> <laughs> in the presence of your daughter. <laughs> she just watched. <laughs> yeah. A very questionable move. The cat obviously isn't into it. <laughs> or is... Or really into it, I guess. It, it attacks, and the guy falls into a bush. But anyway, I was just talking about how he lost his virginity. But he'd only just gotten in the bed with her before they're interrupted. So I guess my question is, does he know what sex is? <laughs> no, I was in the bed with her. We were both naked. We had sex. We went all the way. Yeah, it seemed in that particular depiction, uh, it may have come up just a little short yeah. of uh, of the home run. <laughs> but I, he said something about a pants being away for the weekend. Oh. So maybe this was just, you know, this is Sunday afternoon. Okay. Who this knows? is the ninth inning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we now move forward to 2144 mm. in Neo Soul. Yes. And I sort of like things set in the future. Science fiction, bit of a fan. If I see something set in the future, I'm generally more excited than I am if I see something set in, like, the early 1900s England. <laughs> you know what I mean? You prefer the Jetsons to Downton Abbey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a pretty interesting future we've got. There seems to be regular people... That are called consumers. It seems like people, like it's just like a hyper 
capitalist sort of society. Seems like this is where the future is heading in the eyes of Hollywood, doesn't it? Like, Wally was, you know, just these mindless big consuming blobs. <laughs> yeah. And in order to serve these consumers, it seems like we have... Is it like robots? Not quite robots, like androids or sort of... Not like robots to me, aren't they like built and... Yeah, but not with it. like metal and parts. Like it seemed like they were mm. made out of uh, like flesh and blood. Yeah. But they were able to be programmed or controlled. They weren't treated like humans. No. And we follow this girl, I think she's called Sunmi451. Mm-hmm. But it seems like a big part of these waitress robot role is to get ogled and slapped on the ass, and it just seems like these are robots, guys. Like you can just go crazy. I think at the moment we've got this. Okay, sexual harassment, sexual abuse is an issue. People stop sexually harassing people. Where it seems like in the future, the solution is okay. We'll make robots that you can sexually harass in the restaurants. <laughs> then you can enjoy your sexual harassing. The women can enjoy not being sexually harassed. It's a win-win. Rather than this lame 2013 where the women win by not being sexually harassed, but these men who like to harass women lose because they're not allowed to do that. Yeah, I guess the problem with that is... They're not robots. We see these people, and you feel for them, and they have their own thoughts and feelings, and mm. they're basically just people. So this creates this need similar to the old publisher, need to escape. And there's yes. a guy who's part of, I think they call the Union or the Resistance, or something cool like that, yeah. that's basically anti-government. Mm. And... If the last story was the comedic relief, I think this was the one with the most action. Yeah. You got some pretty cool shooting and fighting scenes in this storyline. This seems to be any movie about a robot. There's a robot. Everyone thinks they don't have feelings. They can do whatever they want with them. That is part of a production line. It turns out that the robot we're focused on does have feelings. And it's all about getting population at large to realise that so the robots can coexist with humans I think you're oversimplifying it I thought this was the best of the six storylines I'm not saying I didn't like it I'm just saying it seemed like a standard robot sort of plotline yeah but there was more to it because I think but I think some of the speeches she gave and what that came to mean for other people was really inspiring I got teary at times watching it there is some great action, too. Like, this is a very good action, Pat. There's some good, poignant political stuff and some great action chase scenes and stuff like that. All right, the last story is post-apocalyptic. Yes, a post-apocalyptic movie. 2321. Yep. Even further in the future. So if you're worried about the apocalypse, uh, try not to live more than 300 years. Yeah. Actually, I think it says like 106 years after the fall or something. Mm. So there you go. There's a little uh, heads up around, what is it, 2215? Yeah. Could be the apocalypse. Yeah. Get ready, guys. (laughs) I've already got the uh, canned corn stored away in the basement. Download all those uh, screen (laughs) verdict podcasts you haven't listened to yet. 
And uh, if you'd like a ticket on the Screen Verdict post-apocalyptic bus tour, <laughs> <laughs> let us know. So it's on an island. Yeah, it seems like there's a bit of a divide. Some people are now basically living in a Games of Thrones type era. Yeah. They seem to have gone back in time. They've lost a certain amount of technology. But then they get visited from somewhere else, across the sea, I suppose, by Halle Berry with some pretty neat gadgets. And sort of like, I guess, a spaceshipy sort of boat thing. So somewhere, some of the technology has survived. Hmm. But um, it seems like... It's not like they're, like, living the life of luxury in post-apocalypse. It's not like even there, you, like, need some help. Yeah. But it's a bit rough on the island as well. Mm, you got Hugh Grant <laughs> causing trouble. How scary were those guys? Those yeah, dudes were badass. Yeah. These guys running on a horse with kind of this skull-creepy makeup. Yeah. Yeah. And they kill people and everything. It's like... It was like, a bit like Hunger Games out there, wasn't it? Just every man for himself, just a lot of, like... Killings and kids getting killed. Tom Hanks is imagining Hugo weaving in. That was a scary costume as well. Yeah. (laughs) A creepy green guy with the top hat. So, yeah, this storyline was awesome. Was this little devil guy, like this little green, the green goblin or whatever, (laughs) was this guy a real guy? Is this a devil or is this just like Tom Hanks' self-doubt? As far as we know, other people couldn't see him and he definitely didn't, directly interact with other people. So it was either just in Tom Hanks' mind or some kind of demony something. Mm. So him and Halle Berry go on a bit of an adventure to, I guess, find some answers to get some sort of, okay, what, how can we improve our situation? What's some stuff we can find? Yes, Halle Berry thinks there might be a remnant of something maybe from before the apocalypse which might be able to help them, but it's up in what the hill people can consider to be the devil's land. They know they're, they're afraid of this part. Yeah. So I guess they team up together to go searching. So it's sort of like a post-apocalyptic adventure movie. Mm. Mm. So there we go. A movie of, in my opinion, six movies. All with different genres. All with different styles. Meshed together. Now, as you've probably picked up, we see some of the same actors appear in multiple storylines. Yeah. Tom Hanks is in all of them. Some of them in big roles, like uh, the, the the main guy in the post-apocalyptic one and one of the three main characters in the, the pirate movie, but smaller characters in maybe one like the orchestra and, and things like that. So what did you think about the... Of the same actors playing different characters, what do you think of that? How did that work? Do you like these connections and things? So I guess a big question is how much are these stories related? And in some ways that they are directly related, a character might be in two mm-hmm. timelines, he's just older. Mm. Or in some ways it might be someone is reading a book from another time period or listening to some music from another time period. There's this symbol of the sort of... Mm comet or cluster of mm. stars and asteroids and things yeah, that a lot, couple of people have as like a birthmark. Yeah, a lot of characters are the same birthmark, don't they? But in terms of the same actors being in the different storylines, that's not meant to be directly related, I don't think. It's not this is the same guy or this is this guy's grandson. Because reincarnation was mentioned at one point in the movie. 
Yeah, I would say it's perhaps for one of two reasons. One is just that without it, we'd need, like, 40 actors. Yeah. <laughs> You're paying Tom Hanks a lot of money to be in a movie. In some ways, perhaps a smart move. Just getting to play half the characters yeah. in the movie. Like, get your money's worth. <laughs> Pretty much. And the second is not for them necessarily to directly be related, even though they could be through some sort of reincarnation, but more just for this sense of that we're all connected. That's what I liked about this film, and it might not be that deep or profound. Some people might want more, but I like that feeling of just nothing is isolated, everything is connected. There's a line about just being a drop in an ocean, and the character says, but what is an ocean but a multitude of drops? And I really liked that. I thought that kind of summed up the feeling of the film quite well. I think it was reincarnation. Okay. Could be. Just just because of... Uh, I'll say when it's mentioned, when Tom Hanks and Halle Berry are having that joint in that scene that he sort of talks about, I go, why would he talk about that? Like, that was the only thing to sort of explain the connections in the whole movie. So I thought, maybe that's it, I don't know. Although I didn't like the, the same actors playing different characters because they didn't get what the film was trying to say with that. Like, in one of them, Tom Hanks is like a bad guy. And in the last one, he's like the hero or one of the heroes. In all of them, Halle Berry seems like a nice person. So it's not like saying, well, people change or, you know, like someone's uh, Hugo Weaving's always the bad person. Like... So I just but maybe that's what life is like. like maybe some you, people are always maybe if you were put yeah. in certain different situations, maybe you just always be good. Yeah. Maybe I would be sometimes good, sometimes bad because of my surroundings. Maybe some other guy would just be a douche every time. Yeah, so I guess it might be saying that, but I feel like that wasn't <laughs> clear enough. All right, let's give this thing a verdict. Yes. Matt, what do you think of Cloud Atlas? Look, uh, there's some fun things in there. It's an uh, interesting film. I like, well, I like what they've done in grabbing all these different films and sort of smacking them all together. At the same time, I think, for the large part, there's six, six films sort of put into one with a few little connections and things. I think some of them are quite good. I like the two later ones, the two future ones. Uh, I find some of them way too simple and boring. Like, I mean, like, if I was judging each of these films just on their own, maybe one or two of them I really like, and the rest of them, yeah, the rest of them, okay. I don't know. I, I just feel like it was just a bit haphazard, a bit of a mess. Some stuff worked, some stuff didn't, and you end up with this sort of confusing hodgepodge of different genres and movies and things like that. That to be said, there were some pretty fun bits, there's some pretty tense bits. There are a few interesting things it was trying to say. I'll give it a 5 out of 10. A pass. A, like, the quintessential average film. Cloud Atlas is close to perfect. I love this film. It's six storylines that are all interesting. I think with six things, I expected to like some more than others. I really like all six of these things. How do you mix them together? I don't know, but they do it. They all came together, they all linked, there was narration that went over the over the top of one and then into the other, and you got this feeling of connectedness, and you got this wide range of emotions, you got this, you got the feelings of the past, you got action, sci-fi stuff in the future, 
it just gave me a great feeling of connectedness to everything else in the world. I love the symbolism of the the comet. I don't know how you could possibly make something this grand and this complex and something as convoluted as six storylines over a three-hour film so thoroughly entertaining. I think it's one of the best films I've seen. I'm going to give it a nine and a half out of ten. Whoa. I will agree it was long. <laughs> it was three hours. <laughs> Boy, were there opinions? That's the most opposed we've been in a while, so... I don't know. We did... <laughs> Is that a recommendation from Screen Verdict? Will will people hear about this film mm. now because of us? Oh, I'm glad we did a podcast on it now since you liked it so much. <laughs> so quickly, let's get into housekeeping. Oh, housekeeping. Do we have anything in housekeeping? Okay, let's, let's open it. I think the only thing we have in housekeeping is last week we asked you to vote in a poll to determine who gave the best Frank Underwood impression in our House of Cards podcast. At the moment, the poll is tied. It's a dead even score. Yep. Of zero to zero. Cool. It's a tough one, must be. But <laughs> I listened to the podcast this week, and I have the better one. <laughs> now, I listened to the podcast as well, and I maintain that yours is absolutely terrible and sounds nowhere near like Kevin Spacey in House of Cards. Unfortunately... Uh, upon revisiting it, I feel like mine was a little too subtle. Uh, there's almost no accent there on some of the words. <laughs> so I'll admit that mine's not great either, but I still think it's the closer of the two. So if you haven't listened to the House of Cards podcast, if you want to vote on the poll, you can just skip forward to about 17 minutes in to hear our impressions, so you can uh, vote for me on Facebook. And if you haven't seen House of Cards, you might also need to check the YouTube trailer for House of Cards to hear what Frank Underwood sounds like. Or just vote for me. Oh, okay. Well, it's a popularity contest now, is it? Like... Well, if it's a popularity contest, obviously I win. There'd be no point in a poll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, if you said yes to I wasn't even... I stopped listening to like, you. Yeah. Oh, no, hour, wait. What did hour, I say yeah. yes to? <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> well, oh, well, uh, so... The one thing about promises, Jonathan is they are not subject to changing circumstance. <laughs> I'm Frank Underwood. Again, a not-quite-quote from the show. <laughs> Close enough. So next week, we'll do another podcast. I'm not sure what on. It'll be a surprise to the audience, and perhaps us. Yeah, which people love a surprise, at least a good one. <laughs> not a... <laughs> we'll try and come through on that. A better one than... Getting Putting. walked in on while having sex with a cat. <laughs> yes. Okay, see you guys. Bye.